And so we're going to be going over kind of our highlights that we, some of which I covered this week, but also some that I didn't. And I'm going to give you kind of what that outline looks like today. So uh, I guess some really great advice to do a psychological topic at the beginning of each of our, uh, called the beginning of our podcast. And so I'm going to do that really shortly at the very beginning today. I'm going to save our S&P 500 and um, gold review till the end. And following our psycho psychological thing that we're going to do at, at the beginning, which I think is probably the most valuable piece uh, that you guys could take away from this, we're going to talk about Fedodrome Powell's uh, statement on rate pauses, how the market reacted. We're going to talk about how he signaled a recession in 2024. We're going to talk about a chart that I have that goes over the um, sentiment and likelihood of a recession in 2024. We're going to talk about GDP, GDP growth for, and its projection for 2024, which does not look great. And then we're going to talk a little bit about this anti-Semitism, uh, Islamophobia, FBI warning that came out this week also that is, uh, I think, a topic that we definitely need to be aware of and have our pulse on because if something happens and shakes around uh, in this country, around the globe, around that, there's going to be massive market impact uh, and implications from that. So let's go ahead and start from the beginning. I've got, I want, we're going to kind of go back and forth. And so I thought I would share with you this piece for my book. So my book's coming out in late April, early May. And the title is uh, Finding Your Hidden Strengths. And I want to share with you this archetype system that I developed after about 15 years of personal coaching, therapy, hiring, spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in personal development. And I find that these things can be helpful uh, from a structural standpoint when dealing with things that you want. So Years ago, I woke up to after doing like so much therapy, so much coaching, so much personal inner work, reading probably over a hundred books on personal development, finding that like really a lot of it's the same. Like we're talking about the same things, and one of the things that I noticed in in this discovery process was there are really two lanes of thought. There were therapists, uh, coaches, books, experts that really focused on this belief side, meaning like changing your cognitive beliefs. You know, you hear it in a lot of titles like think and grow rich. Obviously, that has something to do with the thinking. Um, trying to think of some of the other ones that just come off the top of my head. There's just so many. There's so many of these like. You know, Joe Dispenza is really big on the belief side, like changing your mental state. Um, there's there's a lot of authors who really do a lot of belief work when it comes to spirituality or like forgiveness and like moving on uh, beyond your past. And then there's a lot of people, uh, coaches, books, et cetera, that are about like taking action, right? And it's like the Nike logo. It's like, just do it and getting into flow state and uh, peak performance. And, and so you just... You can even go through like your TikTok reels or your Instagram reels or whatever, and you'll kind of see these motivational uh, topics, and they really fall into one of two categories. 
And what I found is that most people are blinded by the side that they don't exercise the most. It's like, you know, they're always lifting on one arm, but they forget to work out the other. And really we miss authorship or we miss really compounding the effect or the impact of our growth by leaving out one or the other. And we actually have a bias. We have a bias of going into one or the other, meaning if you're someone who really lives in the belief world and you're really good at like upgrading your beliefs and like, you know, upgrading how you think about things and getting like that kind of ball rolling, you typically don't exercise the muscle around getting your action piece going. And if you're someone like me who has a bias towards action, uh, I call that the wanderer, you oftentimes don't work on the belief side. You don't work on spending enough time and reading and uh, getting your own mentoring around how to like upgrade your thinking or beliefs around how to be inside of the action. And so I developed this archetype, which really sets you up into one of four categories. You're either expansive or limited in your beliefs or your inner position. And our goal really is to get you to authorship. So what I'm going to be doing going forward in this podcast is I'm going to alternate. And, you know, we may stop doing this at some point, but I'm going to alternate. And today we're going to take a look at your beliefs and I'm going to offer up one of over 21 beliefs that I've identified around the rich, like beliefs that the wealthy, rich, abundant uh, mindsets have. And so we'll alternate from that. And then next week, I'm going to go into the interposition side and we're going to uh, do a piece on like how to activate action, how to activate like the doing side of it. And so you're either in one or the other category. And I'm putting together a quiz that's going to go with my book that you can take around any topic because you're actually different in different topics. But we'll have a quiz where you can say, okay, I'm dealing with this thing around this topic and I want to be an author. I don't want to be a dreamer. That's heavy on the belief side. I don't want to be a wonder that's heavy on the action side. Both get some results. Definitely don't want to be a beggar. Where am I inside of this thing? Take the quiz, find out, and then it's like, okay, here's the solution. It's the missing piece. So having said that, I want to share with you this belief, kicking this off. And we won't do that. Uh, I, I won't discuss my four quadrants every time we do this, but we will go straight into uh, the belief and or action side uh, going forward every week. And I kind of like this idea. This is a way to kind of mix things up for you. So let me bring this up and I'm going to share my screen on this topic. And I, I brought this up in a way so that you guys can see it for a minute and then I'll come off of it. And the belief that we're going to be discussing today, just really quickly, is how average people use language uh, that is poor and rich people use language that is rich. And what I'm going to share about or talk about on this is a concept that I learned years ago that language forms or literally creates the world outside of yourself, where average people allow words out of their mouth like they they don't even consider it. They just the words come out of their mouth and they think like they can just get away with this and it's there's no impact from it. Uh, where in reality they're projecting a future of being poor. They're creating a future around having less or what I would say a scarcity future, like a very scarce future, whether it's around money or any other thing. It could be around relationships, around their health, you know, whatever. 
And language is actually shaping that. The words that escape their mouth is actually shaping that. And the rich, even if you don't have a million dollars yet, the way that they talk is very unique. The mentality that influences your words is ultimately influencing your actions. And so if you struggle with action, if you're struggling with the other side of this, like which is the wonder's strength, right? Uh, it's likely starting with your language. And so the rich say they will be rich, period. And the way they talk about it is in absolutes. And so I don't know what it was, but years ago I got really I got really into language and I started examining how I talked about things and how I would even be the victim in a lot of my stories when it came to money. Like I was the victim of someone taking advantage of me. I was the victim of my circumstances, my environment. I was a victim uh, to like, you know, maybe taxes or the government or, you know, the markets or, uh, you know, an impending recession or maybe something that's happening in the market that directly impacts my business. And it's like, oh, poor me. And the words would come out and they would actually create this future. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect at this. But if you can start to watch your language around how you talk about money, how you talk about your future around money, uh, it will shape it. And it is a practice. In fact, it's almost like it's it's up here first, and then from the from the mind, it comes out uh, through the through the vocal cords, right? And how we talk with others and ourselves, and that love that added level of it moving from the head to the mouth actually increases the velocity of whatever it is that you're doing. And so I'm really cautious when it comes out. And if it comes out wrong, don't be afraid to take it back. Don't be afraid to grab it and like pull it back and be like, I'm changing how I just said that. Because that's probably the first step in training how you talk. And it will actually reverse how you think about things, especially when it comes to money. So there's your uh, uh, belief tip for this morning. Average people use language that is poor, while w rich people use language that is rich. And it's a fascinating concept to think that, wait a minute, you're telling me that my income, you're telling me that the, how much I make actually has something to do with how I talk about it. And I'm saying, yes, absolutely, 110%. And watch how it would change if you become obsessive around this. Now, keep in mind, this is one of uh, 21 beliefs that I've identified around uh, ways that we think that allow us to be rich or not. And so this, this is just one thing that we're gonna have to integrate. So throughout the week, as you're talking, as you're sharing, as you're, and maybe even reflect back words on how you've been talking and sharing about money, See if this week you can't upgrade it. See if you can't start to change some of the language. And a lot of the language that's negative usually comes from like words like I can't or forceful language like I should or I have to. How many of you guys are going to work today and it's like, well, I have to do this thing. It's like, well, okay, like that language, the way that you're talking about it's coming from a, a, a spectrum that's limited, right? It's forceful. What if you could start to see that you should rather than shouldn't. It's like, well, you should, but from a more powerful place, which would be I want to or I get to. 
And just those little chains, that little shift in language, that little shift in the word will actually upgrade how you go out and do it. Because frankly, do you have to do anything? Do you have to go to work? Do you have to pay the bills? Do you have? No, you don't have to. There'll just be consequences if you don't. But if you start to see that you get to, because you chose in your life, you chose to do that, you can see the responsibility shift that happens. It becomes very empowering. And then the way that you take on life uh, radically shifts. So there you go. All right. So next up, we're going to start getting into some of the news that happened this week. And frankly, I am excited to share this next piece. And I don't think the market was any less uh, excited about this because we had probably the biggest news in the market that we've had all month happen this week. And it has to do with what federal chair Jerome Powell had to say about rates. And so I'm going to bring this up really quick so you guys could see this. Here's an article that I found. It just highlights this. You know, there's probably 50,000 articles on this and different tags and uh, blogs, you know, reddits, posts, etc. Uh, it blew up Twitter. It blew up basically every social platform. But the Federal Reserve leaves interest rates unchanged. But I don't I like the word but and hence at rate cuts for 2024. And so this is big news as Jerome Powell came in and right after the announcement, we saw the S&P 500 go up almost 1.3%. We saw the Dow go up almost 1.4% in just that day because of rate pauses. So what does this mean for you guys? What does this mean for the future? Um, I'm going to kind of unpackage that because I think it's valuable to understand why did the market react so drastically to a rate pause? And how does this tie into the future of the market? And then I'm going to give you an opposing viewpoint that I think is also equally valuable around uh, how maybe we're not out of the the headwind yet. We're not out of the uh, the woods quite yet on uh, getting this 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 plane to soft land. So Jerome Powell came out, got on stage, described to the public kind of what was going on uh, nationally and the chair's position on rates. And so what happened was nothing. And somehow that was taken as great news. Most people think, well, nothing should be nothing. And it's actually not. There was a little bit of fear that there might have been a rate hike. And then everyone listens to every word that comes out of Jerome Powell's mouth because they, they've they gotten to a point now, uh, and I'm actually friends with one of the, the previous vice chairs, federal vice chairs. He actually lives here in Utah. But uh, speaking with him and, and getting some, like watching the news enough, Here's what has happened over the last 20 years from the uh, federal chair's position. We used to just do announcements and the, 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 the chair or the vice chair or someone speaking on behalf of the Federal Reserve would get up and would just say, well, we're hiking rates. And there would have been no announcement, no warning, no like setting us up. Now the Federal Reserve not just warns us about an announcement that is possibly going to be happening. They warn us about the warning about the announcement. So like we're getting like double doses of like the future. And the reason they're doing that is so that the market can start to adjust now and can start to price in factors now 
rather than way later and have these massive blowups in the market. And I actually think it's I think it's wise. I think it works. And I think it's going to help federal uh, Jerome Powell's job of getting this economy and like everything back and balanced. Uh, it increases the probability of that. Do, do I think there's not going to be some costs? No, I do think there will be some costs. Some of the costs will probably and likely be a recession. Uh, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. Um, but a recession after the amount of M2 that we pumped into the system, a recession after just ridiculous price inclines, uh, you're, and obviously you're going to have the impact of GDP going up probably too much, and then a pull-off of that, uh, it does create an argument that, yes, things are better, but also maybe going to get worse. So two takeaways from Jerome Powell's statement. One, we're not going to see rate hikes uh, probably at all into next year. So I would actually anticipate no rate hikes going into 2024 unless something radical happens. Um, and I would say most analysts agree with me on this. I would also say you're likely going to see rate drops and the Federal Reserve hinted towards three rate drops next year. So I want to talk to you before we moved on to like the thing that Jerome Powell kind of quietly hinted towards but didn't say is I want to talk to you about the impact. Like what markets will this impact going into 2024 and what should I be watching out for? Well, I think based on this data and based on all the data that you guys know I watch really closely with the real estate market, not commercial, residential, I think we've hit a bottom. Meaning without rates going up anymore, we've kind of hit this plateau in the market around uh, sell-offs. People trying to um, buy homes, sell homes at this higher rate and not being able to qualify. But also we have a supply issue with residential homes. No questions asked. We have a supply issue. And if we're not going to be increasing rates anymore, which would be putting tension on the housing, even more tension on the housing market, um, I, I just can't find an argument that the real estate market isn't going to take another climb. I just can't see it. And that data doesn't show up on inflationary charts. Uh, it's one of those weird things that gets omitted, like uh, cost of living and affordability is not actually reported on inflation. Uh, it's one of those things that's missing for some reason. It's like we include food, energy prices, but for some reason not how much it costs to buy a house. It's weird. But regardless of that uh, hidden data feature, um, because of the lack of supply of homes, and if we do rate drops going into next year, that's just going to put more strain on the real estate market. So I think timing right now in the real estate market has hit kind of a pinnacle point. And I think to this week even marks the time that we will see uh, kind of this, the market went up, the market actually corrected. In fact, in Utah, with a lot of homes that I've been watching has corrected almost 15 to 20%. Into the next year, as rates start to go down, it's going to put more pressure on supply because it's going to be cheaper to buy homes. You're going to see future mortgage rates actually start to drop. Uh, it could be as soon as spring next year. And that's just going to put more pressure on the real estate market. So uh, impact, I think real estate 
is going to be a great asset class going into 2024, 2025, unless we have some radical movement into the recession that forces people to buy these homes. And I just don't think that's going to be, happen because most of these homes were bought at low rates where people have just insane capital and equity locked up in the, into these asset classes. Now, what does this do? <clears throat> what does the pause do on uh, the market, uh, specifically the stock market? And I think I've got – do I have something we could do on this? Yeah, let's do this. I'm going to show you – because this is kind of an alarming chart. I'm going to show you this really quiet thing that Jerome Powell said, but the market didn't quite hear it. And it's on this chart called uh, – it's a, it's our GDP growth chart and projections. And the feds are really pretty good. You know, They can come off a little bit. But they're actually pretty good at projecting GDP, growth, domestic, product. And that's how – it's a measure of how well the economy is doing, right? It's the amount of uh, growth in our domestic product in the U.S. And if we create a lot of product and sell a lot more goods and services in the U.S., it's a good sign of the economy. If there's a drop or a drop in the amount of growth – that's obviously going to be bad for the economy. Now, anytime we have dropped into like this below 4% growth level, we've typically seen a recession following, along with some other indicators uh, that also show uh, signs of a recession, which like the drop in M2 uh, has obviously been one of those indicators also. But this got hinted towards during the press conference. Uh, it got signaled from one of the questions that someone asked Federal Jerome Powell. And here it is. It says the Fed's 3.8% nominal GDP growth call carries with it a 90% recession odds. Now, what does this mean? Well, you can see that we climbed up to about 9%. And the reason that this matters, and actually I'm going to switch gears on this really quick. I'm going to actually show you guys the Warren Buffett indicator and why all this matters. But this is directly correlated. Like there's a really strong cord between GDP and the stock market. Like it's value and it's worth and where prices should go. And although we saw radical climbs this week in the S&P 500, this is a sign that we're probably going to see some fallout in the stock market going into next year because the feds are projecting only not even 4% growth and coming from growths. You, I mean, you could see guys, these spikes coming from growth where we had eight, 10%, 12%, 16% growth back in the fifties uh, where you can see in the twenties from all the M2 that we injected, you know, we went up to almost 9% growth and now it's dropping and they're saying it's going to be down into this 4% level. And this blue line that you see here, it's really hard to see actually, but this line that's at 4% is kind of that mark. 39 3.8% is where they're projecting it. Anytime we come up below around that 4% level, these gray lines indicate a recession that's happened. And look what happened. We dropped between, below 4% growth. We had a recession. Dropped below 4% growth. We had a recession. 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 This one we didn't have uh, below 4%, but you could see it came after a, ma a major drop. This one also after a major drop, a major drop, major drop, almost to 4%, 4% recession, 4% recession, 
negative GDP uh, in terms of percentage growth uh, recession. That was the 2008 crash. And then obviously COVID, we had that. And we had a little micro recession and now we're heading back into that. So fascinating time, right? It's everyone tries to time markets. Everyone tries to project or compare things to the last thing they can remember, but you just can't do that. And what's happening today is radically different than what happened during the dot-com boom and bust. It's radically different than what happened during the 2008 crash. It's radically it's radically different than when we had all the interest rate hikes during the, the late 70s, early 80s. Um, it's just different. And I just don't see how the real estate market is going to get impacted that much this time around where before it did. And I think a lot of people are like, weighing in thinking, oh, there's going to be this massive future housing crash. I think the correction has happened and I think it might be behind us. And so timing wise, this may be the perfect time. If you're someone looking to get into real estate, uh, you want to get in at a bottom, right? You want to get in after a lulls happened and people have kind of gotten beaten up. It's actually the opportunity uh, of a lifetime in some cases or in a generation or in a cycle the nice thing about recessions, the nice thing about market corrections is it levels the playing field, so to speak. The guys on top get hit. It brings down the competition level. And then people who are kind of emerging in certain markets can can take this level. And these guys got beat up a, li a little bit. And because they don't have a huge ship that they have to turn, they can make radical changes that are adaptive to, to, to new market conditions and, frankly, in a lot of cases, take off and supersede their competition that was really dominating the market in the past, you know, decade or market cycle. And so, that's the that's the positive in this. That is the the under underlining silver lining, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, that exists currently. Kind of seeing that we're starting to see this uh, tapering out, bottom, soft landing, whatever you want to call it in the market. Is this is your time? Winter has been happening. Winter is, you could say, ending its season. Spring is coming. And when spring comes, you get to go plant your seeds. And the guys who are good at this are going to plant their seeds also. But the difference is, is they don't have the ability to shift as fast as you do. And it really gives you a high competitive advantage, regardless of what market you're in, whether it's stock trading, investing, doing real estate, getting and starting a new business. It just doesn't matter. Uh, the opportunity is always in winter. It's always prep, do the work now. We're literally going into winter. So this is a great metaphor for today. Uh, do the work, even though it's cold. Do the work, even though it's difficult, because the payoff during spring will be worth it. And now is the time to double down. All right. What else we got? Uh, yeah, we talked about this, the recession. Uh, I'm going to play this. I like this because I, I think it's important to just kind of echo what Jerome Powell said. So I'm going to play this just really quick. But here's just a one minute, 34 second kind of recap on what we talked about from Jerome Powell. This this is actually some of the, this was the best video I could find that kind of highlights what he uh, said. And this is a question um, that was asked of him after kind of his statement that I think really reiterates the silent uh dark cloud that Jerome Powell didn't want to like 
talk about after really hitting this high level topic around uh, rate pause. So here he is. Hi, Chair Powell, Rachel Siegel from the Washington Post. Thanks for taking our questions. At this point, can you confidently say that the economy has avoided a recession and isn't heading for one now? And if the answer is no, I'm curious about what you'd still be looking for. I, I think you can say that there's little basis for thinking that the economy is in a recession now. Um, I would say that. I think there's, there's always a probability uh, that that there will be a recession in the next year. And it's a meaningful pro probability no matter what the economy is doing. So it's always a real possibility. The question is, is, is it, so, so it's a possibility here. I have always felt since the beginning uh, that there was a possibility because of the unusual situation that the economy could cool off uh, in a way that enabled certainly risks. It's certainly possible that, that, uh, that the, the economy will behave in an unexpected way. It has done that repeatedly through the post, in the post-pandemic period. Nonetheless, where we are is, is we see the things that I, that I mentioned. I'm curious if you're looking. All right, great. So there you hear it. This, was a, this wasn't even brought up in his actual speech. This was something that had to get provoked uh, by a journalist. And so you can kind of hear the tone that there is a concern about a recession. And we already gave you the data points because they didn't talk at all about their projection for GDP into next year. They, they didn't even bring it up and the number and the impact. And I actually I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'm going to show you guys something that I think is valuable to understand that will help you understand this cord between GDP and the stock market. And uh, if you've been on my podcast before, you know that I love this indicator. Let me just bring this up though really quick. Current market valuations is the website. And uh, Warren, it's called it the Warren Buffett indicator. And I'm just going to show you why GDP is so important. Why we like to watch this. And you can always go to... I, I, in fact, I would never try to recreate this because these guys have done such a fantastic job of uh, doing some of these data points. But it's called the, the Warren Buffett Indicator. This is currentmarketvaluations.com. Uh, I'm not associated and affiliated of these guys at all. I just love their work. And really, this really helps you understand why the stock market reacts to GDP. And the Warren Buffett Indicator, which... There's a lot of quotes on this, and you know when he was doing value trading, he would use this indicator on most stocks way back in the day. Take take into account that the market has changed, it has evolved, and the way that we value buy is radically different than it used to be. Uh, however, I still think there's a lot to say and a lot to glean off of this model. But the Warren Buffett indicator is very simple. It takes the stock, the total U.S. stock market value, and puts it over GDP which makes a lot of sense. It's like, here's the total value of the stock market, $48 trillion. Annualized GDP is to, uh, 27 
uh, trillion. And when you put one over the other, it gives you a ratio to kind of see like, are stocks overvalued based on the output? Because at the end of the day, guys, if you're buying something, but it's not creating something, there's no value long-term, what are you really buying other than a piece of paper and idea and like, you know, a cheerleading uh, pom-pom for some stock that maybe you believe in, but really has no application. And so if you look at this indicator, you can see that we just recently spiked up again into the overvalued section. And this changed literally since the last time I showed you guys this. We are heading the wrong direction around this. And if we go into uh, what the feds have predicted for next year, only 3.8% GDP growth, this is going to go off the charts next year unless one of two things have to happen. Stock values will have to come radically down, which would fix this and would bring it back into kind of a more normal, this zero over the last 70 years is normal. To get it to come back down, stock prices are going to have to come back down or, or GDP growth is going to have to go way up. And based on the Fed's prediction, that's not what they're expecting. They're not expecting to have radical incline in the output of all these stocks and all the stuff that they do. And so I do I would not expect this to come back down here uh next year based on GDP growth. So what option does that give us? The total market cap, this number here, so let's get out of this. This number here the total U.S. stock value is going to have to drop in order for this to come down. Now, that doesn't mean that this chart can't be way off. I mean, we've seen it way, way up here where everything was radically overvalued. And I was warning you guys about this when it happened. And what happened after that? We saw the S&P 500. We saw the Dow. We saw the NASDAQ radically drop almost 30%. And so um, this is a great indicator for when things are overvalued or undervalued. You know, it's like sell up here, buy down here, right? And that would you you could literally make a model off of this. I don't know if you'd want to wait, uh, in some cases, thirty years to buy or sell, you know, based on this chart. Uh, however, it's a great indicator that way. And so I wasn't planning on showing you this, but it ties in perfectly uh, to our last segment. Now, kind of shifting gears a little bit, I want to share with you this. We're going to end on this note, uh, but I'm going to share with you a video. We. We are in a really unique time. So we have markets doing things that I've never seen done before. We've got uh, global tensions in areas we haven't seen in a very long time. And I have to be really careful with how I position this. But anti-Semitism, Islamophobia is at an all-time high. And a lot of it has to do with the Israel-Hamas uh, a war that's happening right now, and I would call it a war, uh, and call it a U.S. proxy war, possibly. The, the stuff happening in Ukraine really has disappeared from headlines. We're really not interested in supporting them anymore. I, I, I watched, in fact, it was a, a tragedy of a press conference, but I watched the Biden-Zelensky interview, uh, and I would highly encourage you guys, I'm not going to do that highlight here today, but... I should have shown some clips. It was an embarrassment. I, wow. 
some of the things that they wouldn't answer, some of the questions that they were avoiding, uh, the way Zelensky was rolling his eyes at the president. I mean, it was it was an embarrassment of a press conference. Uh, the news did not cover it, I think, for that reason. But if you get a chance, go check it out for yourself and watch the Zelensky-Biden um, press conference that happened because they are really avoiding this UN uh, discussion and NATO expansion discussion. And Zelensky really is, you could tell he's kind of upset at the US. You can tell that we probably made some promises that we're not delivering on with him. And he probably feels abandoned at this point because our tension has been shifted to this new topic, which is this anti-Semitic uh, Islamophobic discussion. And I want to share a video with you that we just cannot ignore that came from the FBI uh, around a warning that is similar to what we saw just before the attack uh, on September 11th, 2001. So I'm not doing this, guys, to like raise flags or to, like have you guys concerned uh, about something that isn't real. Because this is something that's real. And I think we need to talk about it because if something happens, you're going to want to have your pulse on it like within 24 hours. It's not going to be something that you're going to want to be ignoring. So let me see if I can find this video. There it is. <clears throat> okay. So if you guys missed this, by the way, I'm going to share this also. This is kind of a unique way to share this position. The reason I do this podcast, the reason I do my weekly updates is so that you don't have to. And if you haven't seen this already this week, that's pretty bad news for you. Meaning you will be a victim of a massive market shift when something like this may happen. Now, I'm not trying to provoke or promote any type of anti-Semitic or Islamophobic uh, behavior because that's completely inappropriate. And the warning signs are there and you want to watch this because the market climbs like an escalator, drops like an elevator. Have you guys heard that analogy before? So when things drop, they drop hard and fast. When things climb, it's generally slow and, and steady. Okay. And so hopefully this never happens. Hopefully we never have to deal with this, but uh, it's better to be prepared. It's better to be safe than sorry. And if something happens, you are going to have to have your pulse on it. Meaning if you've got stuff invested in the markets, you have stuff maybe tied to certain asset classes that may have been part of a connection to the future. Because typically when there is terrorism and a terrorist threat, it is targeted uh, to affect not just industry and create fear, but it's also typically targeted to disrupt uh, certain industries, which if you go back to, in fact, I want to do this before we show this. If you go back to, to where you were, when you were sitting, like the whole situation environment during September 11th, like if you could just bring yourself back to that, everyone can remember where they were, what was going on. And I remember I was at that time, laying floors, so I was a carpenter uh, working for my brother-in-law, and uh, we were getting prepped for the day, getting our materials in the trucks, and I remember hearing this thing on the radio, and I was like, what is this? And radio was kind of 
provocative back then. And there are people that joked around a lot. And I was like, wait a minute, is this a joke or is this real? And then you start running into people and they're like, have you heard what's going on? And then every, it's like the world paused. And the next thing you know, we're watching the television and we're watching this thing that we just couldn't even believe where the Twin Towers were being literally blown into with civilian aircrafts filled with, with people. And in a moment, the market shifted. But you have to remember that the world was a little different then. We didn't have cell phones. You couldn't place trades through your Robinhood account or whatever trading app that you had on your phone. Uh, high-speed internet. This was before the days of high-speed internet. This was before, the, like, like to make trades, You a lot of people are still calling in their trades to the broker. And so you can imagine, even with those circumstances, it took about, if you go back and look, certain markets, it took about a day to two days for the impact to happen after September 11th. And I remember thinking about this, comparing it to today. What, what would it be like if something like that happened today? And what would the waterfall effect look like? Because it was a massive fall off. The market dropped fast and hard. And I was thinking about it. If we had something similar to that magnitude happen today, some type of terrorist threat to that magnitude, what would the impact look like? And how fast would the market drop and how hard would it be? And I actually think if something at the same magnitude happened, it would be worse, uh, meaning that we would have a harder fall faster and a deeper crash because of the access people can put their sentiment into the market. Meaning you usually would have had to call your broker. You usually would have had to get an intermediary to like impact your position in the market back then. Today, you just log into an app, you hit sell, you close all positions. I don't want to be in this anymore. And so there will be uh, if there's something like this, there will be certain markets impacted. And just think of what markets were impacted during September 11th. I just want you to, we just got to like bring this to the, the forefront because you got to know to be prepared if something happens in the future. Airlines got just disseminated. Like they they got hit so hard and it made a lot of sense. No one wanted to fly after that. All these extra security protocols had to get put in place, which were going to be additional costs, which wasn't going to help profits. And travel got impacted also. So any type of vacationing, uh, destinations, uh, hotels, any, travel in general just got decimated from this. Uh, also, what happened is large group settings, because our alert system internally, like our internal uh, fear went way up around like, well, any now anywhere where there's a lot of people could be a target. Uh, events became a, a major threat, like anywhere, stadiums, anywhere, we concerts, all that took a huge hit. And anything that had to do with certain types of large transportation that could be used as a weapon also got hit uh, during that time as well. And the whole market uh, was was definitely hit by this. Now, it's also important to note, similar to today, there was some market uncertainty. We weren't in the great the greatest market conditions when this happened uh, during 9/11. The dot com uh, peak hit early that spring, and we were just starting to go through the dot com bust. And 
I actually think that 9-11 just escalated the problem and really put the nail on the coffin on the dot-com bust. And so it was already happening, you know, things like AOL, you know, these dot-coms that were just a name that people paid less than $9 for that were worth millions of dollars in per- perception. You know, a lot of that got taken out. And so it really just escalated kind of the tide going out and seeing, you know, whose pants were down, so to speak. Um and I think that's that's likely with anything like this. So having said that, I want you to hear from the FBI director, the news that came out this week, uh, because we are on red alert right now. And it's not just one-sided. It's on both sides, which I think even makes it worse. And they are comparing this, the amount of threats that we're receiving, the amount of uh, inquiries, reports that we're getting, the FBI director has said it's similar uh, to right before September 11th. And I I have a lot of respect for these guys. The FBI director, uh, Ray, he has a very somber like uh, uh, approach and way that he talks about things. And so you have to keep that in mind, too. I think... Uh, the news is underplaying this because he de- he doesn't he's not just he's not eccentric ever. He just kind of talks like this all the time. And so you don't really catch the urgency in his language where what he's saying, if someone else were to say it, I think has a lot of urgency. So, OK, so here it is. You guys have heard my spiel on this. Uh, I think I've set you up well around like how to position yourself, what to look out for. Here's the actual uh, video clip. And this is really short. It's only two minutes. Today, a new and sobering warning from the Secretary of Homeland Security. We are definitely in a heightened threat environment, and we are proceeding with vigilance. Alejandro Mayorkas's comments to CNN mirror those of FBI Director Christopher Wray, who told senators the current threat environment inside the United States is different now, from periods, he says, when individual threats popped up here and there. I've never seen a time where all the threats or so many of the threats are all elevated all at exactly the same time. That's what makes this environment that we're in now so fraught. Would you say that there's multiple blinking red lights out there? I see blinking lights everywhere I turn. Ray said the FBI is working, quote, around the clock to disrupt potential attacks by people who are inspired by Hamas's terrorist attacks on Israel on October 7th. Since that day, Ray has spoken often of an increase in threats inside America's borders related to the Israel-Hamas war. What's different about what's happening right now? Director Ray is talking about this. The threat stream has become a bit of a waterfall. You are seeing threats come from foreign terrorist organizations, ISIS and al-Qaeda, Uh, domestic violent extremists. These are people who are following the propaganda coming from overseas who could be lone wolf attackers. Experts say the constant stream of televised images of October 7th and the Israel-Hamas war has led to a flood of propaganda from terrorist groups and extremists from all sides. Propaganda and often misinformation that can be almost impossible to filter. They exist on message boards, they exist in chat rooms, they exist in private groups, they exist in large groups. And the spike in anti-Semitic and Islamophobic threats and attacks has been significant, from the wounding of three Palestinian college students in Vermont to a Cornell University student being charged with threatening to kill Jewish students. The greatest danger is that lone offender who may be isolated, may be ostracized, and who is reading these messages and saying, 
I could step out and do something. Analysts say the ongoing Israeli-Palestinian conflict, even before October 7th, has often been a touchpoint for hatred in the U.S. What you're seeing are individuals who are taking the justification that they've been looking for and using it to go do the violence. These are individuals who have long wanted to commit violence, have long been you know, filled with that hatred of Jews, of Muslims, of individuals who are not in their in-group. Now, on the difficult task of trying to protect the public from this violence, Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas says government security agencies have just today put out brand new guidance to faith-based institutions with specific suggestions, ranging from building fencing and installing security cameras at places of worship to encouraging religious leaders to develop their own relationships with law enforcement. All right, so there it is. Uh, cross our fingers that we can keep... Uh... Our border, our our border safe. Our uh, home here safe. Um, I have a lot more to say about this, but we're running out of time. I want to make sure we get to our charts. Um, let's bring up our trade on the S and P five hundred and gold. I'm going to bring that up really quick, and then we will get you guys to your weekend. Thanks so much for being on here, by the way. I'm enjoying this new format. We might make some modifications here going into the future. But let's go ahead and bring up our charts. We're going to go into one of my favorite segments. And that is when we get to do some trading. Now, it seems like every week I just get on here and brag about how good we are at this. But, I mean, it's just not rocket science. It just isn't. And once you start to learn how to do this on your own, you're going to really be able to impress your friends. But I want you to look. Let's start with gold. I want you to look at what we did with gold last week. So we we drew in this new channel last week. And you can see we marked where we thought the price was going to go. And look what it did. It went into this channel. We said it's – and I, I was saying this. It's like I just – I'm so bullish on gold right now. And even without the announcements that happened this week, it's like it hit the 1970 and it just bounced. And so we're definitely in a new channel now, but you definitely, most of you probably caught this bounce. We were talking about a, a, a buy trade on Friday, if you guys recall. And when it came down into this level, it's like, okay, we could sell it into this level, but watch out, don't have any targets below this 1970 price and then guess what happened hit hit that floor i didn't i didn't touch this line guys it's been there for weeks it hit the price it bounced and now look where we're at it's bouncing off of our high our top support uh the 2040 level in fact gold hit what was it 2040 dollars or 44 dollars was where it peaked this week and then it's kind of it's kind of like coming off of that. So easy to predict, easy to, easy to call out. Um, lots of trade opportunities that happened in this week because of that. But let's go ahead and let's mark out what we think is going to happen this next week. And this just isn't that difficult to do once you kind of start to see what's happening here. So we're definitely in a new channel. It's definitely bullish. Uh, this could get sharper. So this, I'm going to draw two channels on here because this could be a sharper channel depending on. So I'm going to do it like this just to indicate into next week that we could have a sharper climb or a slower climb. Now, 
because of the support or excuse me, the resistance at 2050, this like 2050 level, I'm, I'm more inclined to say it's going to stay in this range. And so I'm just going to mark where I think we're going to be. And I really hope you guys are taking advantage of this. But I think we're more likely to be in this this area if it breaks next week for gold. And I'm just going to throw a sliver up here. It could come up into this range. But I think we're going to be living sideways next week. I think next week, the sideways movement is going to be your more likely scenario. This, this chart here, which I'm going to change the colors on just because I want, I want to kind of make it less attractive. I want you guys to see it this way. Come on. There we go. I want you to remember that this one's not as strong, this red one. The black one's likely where we're going to live. This other one that I've done, uh, not so much. In fact, I'm going to make this one a little thicker so that we remember this is kind of the one that we're going with. Uh, but it is like it, it. There is a possibility that we get a, str a strong incline if there's some sentiment uh, or some something that is not technical. So some type of fundamental announcement that happens that throws next week off. I just don't see that happening. I've looked at the announcements coming in next week. I don't see something radically coming in that's going to shake gold uh, to a radical upside like back into this uh, region that happened the beginning of December. So. Yeah, there, there we are. That's simple. So you guys know the rules. If we're talking bullish, you obviously want to set your stop losses below the 2000 level right now. Uh, if you're going into the target, watch out for the 2050 bounce. You could trade short because we do have, we're kind of at the top of this 2050. Keep your, your stops really tight, meaning keep them just above the 2050 level. You don't want to lose very much if it decides to break this level. Uh, but you have some significant space for this to come down. And just remember, every day that goes by, you have less space because this channel is going to keep growing, right? It's going to keep coming into this area. Let's see if I can modify this to help you guys see this a little better. There we go. Uh, so every day this goes by, you have less room. So don't let those trades run short for too long because every day that goes on, there's going to be more pressure pushing this up. But you've got some really great uh, potential for sideways pressure. And 50-50, nah, I would say you're probably Monday a little stronger on the bearish side. And then going into Tuesday, Wednesday, you're a little stronger on the bullish side uh, if it happens to go that direction first. So there's gold. Uh, pretty simple. On that one, let's go to the S&P. Man, S&P gave us a ride. Look at this ride that we had. So here's where we were last week. Let me just kind of move this over. Here's how we woke up, and we said likely sideways, right? Um, if it was going to break down, and then I said higher probability into the upside, which... It happened sooner than I thought by almost a day. You can kind of see where my circles were here. And then we saw the downside. But I was pretty much bullish on the S&P. Obviously, what happened yesterday, uh, or excuse me, earlier this week with Federal Drone Pals announcement caused this massive spike. That's where fundamentals blow things out. And you could see we, we're kind of staying in this technical 
support this channel here. And then when that announcement came out, it just blew it out. And that's where you'll typically have to redraw and put in new technical levels. However, that does not typically change support and resistance levels. And so I'm not going to modify those other than we're at all time highs now. And being in a bullish trend, you know, I like that. We're going to pull in some data going way back because we're in a long-term bullish trend now. And you guys know the old saying, trade the trend. We don't want to lose that concept here. We're going to get rid of this chart though. Get rid of some of these. This back. There's our long-term and then short-term, we're kind of in this sharper short-term pattern here, which is also long. And I don't know how helpful that's going to be other than to show kind of the velocity that we're moving at on the S&P. I don't think we're going to get another announcement like we had next week to create this type of a spike. Uh, however, the big question is going to be, Will this seven or 4,700 level, I mean, we could move it up to that. Is this 4,700 level going to hold? Will it become the next uh, resistance and or support? And right now it's acting as support, but we're going to have to go way back, guys, in our charts to see where our new levels are. So let's bring this back. Let's let our data load. Just give it two seconds here, guys. I'm going to give you guys a couple extra minutes because I want to make sure that we nail our support and resistance. Definitely 48.16. I'm going to bring it down just to here there. There's a little bit of resistance here. And that should get us updated. Let's bring it back. And now we're like climbing into all-time highs, by the way. So here's our new levels. Make sure to write these down if you guys are going to be trading the S&P 500, either on the Forex market or uh, the actual market itself. But here's your levels. We've got 4,700 as new support, 4,750 as new resistance, and then 4,812 as resistance also. Here's here's what I would say we're going to be next week. I'm just going to kind of draw this this way. I think this is very likely into Monday, Tuesday. Okay. And then after this, it's really hard to say because we're going to be inside of our support level. So if this extended, in fact, I'll, I'll modify that in just a second. I want you guys to see this. I think we'll be safe. We'll be inside that channel either way to the upside or the downside. And so I think either are feasible. This range is going to be interesting. I think it's going to be more likely, this is very likely, so that Monday, Tuesday, and then you're going to want to kind of watch for where it, it's either going to break this channel, this tight channel, and then start living down here, and then your new channel support is going to be this one way back here. But I'm going to extend this so that you guys can see it going way out. Like this. 
tool. Really bring it down. There we go. Perfect. Right now we can zoom in. So you can see like this is not, this territory here is likely not a good hold. In fact, I'm going to edit this and make it a little thicker so you guys can see this channel. And this is why I do this. Because it's more likely to live here. It's not going to want to break this channel. So you're going to have support and resistance that's linear, and then you're going to have support and resistance that's not linear. And this is what creates pressure in the markets. And so going into Monday, Tuesday, not a lot of pressure. We're kind of in the, the safe zone of this trend and in this channel. But as you're ticking towards the downside, the likelihood of it pushing up, and it, the odds are it wants to be in the middle. The odds are it wants to stay in the center. And it wants to stay in the center of this linear support and resistance also. And so as you go into Monday, Tuesday, you're going to be living kind of in this between the 4,700 level and this 4,750 level, which is only uh, $50 in gap between prices. And so I'm actually going to mark this lighter because I think it's less impactful. I think this 4,750 is less of a uh, resistance level. I'm going to change the colors on this. Because now we are not, it's not resistance anymore. This isn't resistance anymore. I'll go through and change these on my other ones. They're now support. And so sideways movement, as it comes towards the 4,700, uh, obviously I would prefer a buy than a sell, uh, just based on the trend. Always trade the trend is the rule. And so you'd, you'd place your stop loss below 4,700, take profit within this region, but you probably could take targets upwards into the 4812 region. Um, but you don't want to be too close. So the, the rules are when trading technicals is you don't want you always want your stops to be outside, like underneath or above. If, if you're if you're selling, you want it to be above. If you're buying, you want it to be below. And you want to give yourself a little buffer because sometimes there's some volatility that kicks it a little bit below that wall kind of like a nail going through the wall, but it doesn't break through the, the drywall all the way, so to speak. And so you want to give yourself some buffer, but same towards your take profit. You want to make sure your take profits are close to this, but you don't want it to be at that level. You want to have it be a little below because sometimes uh, it's like a nail gun. You you shot through the wall or you shot at it, but it, it actually never hit it. You know, it was like it, it was missing the hammer to the nail type of thing, uh, but it got close. And so by doing that, you kind of play a safe game when uh, you're moving with your technicals. So this is definitely, if I were to pick out of the two, which I like more, I like my gold setup a lot more. The gold trade is just a lot more predictable. It's a lot safer. It's in a price region that it's been before. And so this feels, looks, smells a lot safer as a trade. The reason I'm a little skeptical on the S&P 500 one is we are in new territory and when I get into new territory, I get a little nervous, uh, especially uh, with current market conditions and fundamental analysis or fundamentals and announcements just kind of knocking things out of the park. So I'd be a little more skeptical on my analysis, uh, technical analysis on the S&P. My gold one, I feel a little stronger about. But I would say Monday, Tuesday on the S&P, I, I don't see how we're going to be wrong on this. I, it's going to live in this 
zone. It might break this tight channel and come into the bottom channel. But I think this this uh, channel that we drew in, it's going to hold up definitely through Monday and Tuesday. Again, you guys know, and I played the disclosure at the beginning, it's not financial advice. Do your guys' own homework. Uh, but this gives you kind of how I do my setups and what I'm looking for uh, when I'm making trades or looking at the market. All right, so that wraps up our Friday uh, Market Pulse podcast and webinar. Thanks so much for being on, you guys. If uh, On my YouTube channel, if you guys, I leave the comments open. If you guys ever have some suggestions or things you'd like me to cover, make sure you drop those in the comment section on my channels below. Uh, otherwise, you guys have a great weekend. We're getting close to the holidays. Enjoy your time with family and friends. I will be live on Friday, so I will not be missing next Fridays, uh, even though we'll be getting into the holiday weekend, uh, that next upcoming weekend. I want to make sure that you're prepped, even though the holidays do kind of typically get a little slower uh, as we get closer to Christmas and Wall Street starts to kind of go home and see their family members. All right, so that wraps it up. Thanks so much, and uh, you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.